I could literally listen to the Ventures all day, every day. I love the fucking Ventures, Aren't man. Aren't you tired from chasing me around the building? Yeah, exactly. Because that's what this music do, is. Do, 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 do. So, but I mean, they have so many weird phases in their career. Some of it, I mean, we all know Walk Don't Run. We all know their Hawaii Five-O version, right? But they maybe have 100 albums under their belt. And they got a little weird when it got into the 70s. They were str- t- trying to stay relative, uh, relevant and... Um, and, you know, trying to like, oh, no, we're weird and druggy and fun, too. Then it lost all its joy for me. <laughs> but in the, in the 60s, they must have been in the studio every single day because there are so many Ventures records out there. And I just bought another one day before yesterday when I was at the record store. Right now, though, I am in the Smart Start MN studio along with Sean Bernard. My name is Brian Oak, and this is the kickoff of episode 178 of The Brian Oak Show, a podcast that we do a couple times a week. We like to have guests by. We like to talk to the people who make up the community around us while we're on the subject. Hi, Sean. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Good. I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm a little tired. I'm a little beaten. I am it's, too. It's Friday yeah. the 13th. Yep. I, I don't really believe in that kind of stuff. Any superstitions that you hang on to? No. None? Except for, well, I mean, the only thing I really truly believe in Go on. is Murphy's Law. I just, wow. I, I do. I know it's dark. But we're both Irish, yeah, and it's just one of those things that I kind of, when something really, really good happens, I'm like, oh, shit, here comes, no, well, some, here see, comes something. Managing something expectations, bad. I think, is an important human trait. Yeah. Like, if you go into it, like, don't don't find a way to make it happen, but if you have low expectations, anything above average that happens is a banner day. That was actually in my wedding vows, you know, <laughs> I just told her. Don't expect a lot, and you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> That's what I told her. That's what I told her. I'm like, look, you know. This is probably as good as it gets. Oh, <laughs> man. That is a heavy reality right there for a Friday afternoon. Whenever two or more of you. Okay, Sorry, then go. they went right into that Yeah, song. no, unfortunately. <laughs> um, the, uh, the only thing I'm superstitious about, and it doesn't make any sense, yeah. and I don't believe it has any scientific validity, nor have I ever truly seen it play out, but like, you know, the whole step on a crack, break your mother's back, oh, yeah, walking under ladders, yeah. black cats. I, I adopted, rescued two black cats. Yeah. I don't believe that stuff at all. I do, however, abide by one superstition, and that is find a penny, pick it up, and all day long you'll have good luck. I, now, I do that, too. But do you do this? Do you only <laughs> pick it up if it's face up? You know, I'm a tails guy, so I like the... I like to settle down. No, I just I didn't mean it that settle way. I just down. meant I just meant I pick it up if it's on tails. I did not mean anything so, sexual. But there. so if it's heads up, time. you won't pick it up. No, I okay. only pick it up. I'm yeah. the other way around. Yeah. I, but I heard only if it's heads up. So you're the one absorbing the darkness of the world. Basically, you're being a martyr for those around you. That's really it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, big what martyr. good man big, you are, Sean big Bernard. Martyr. Before we get to today's guest, who I'm excited to talk to because I've known him on social media for a long time, we've had more than a couple people who are immediately adjacent to him on this particular podcast before. And I'm excited to talk to him because he lives this very interesting dual life. He is an absolutely committed rock star, but he's also uh, a defender for the Hennepin County Public Defender's Office. Normally when you think of attorneys who work for the state, you think of prosecutors, right? Because that's the flashy stuff. That's the big stuff. And defenders are doing the hard work for people who generally can't afford or know how to defend themselves. So he's committed to to this community as we are in very different ways. You and I, I don't think, work half as hard to help the people of this community as Mark does, but Mark Deveraj will be joining us here very shortly. But before we get to him, I want to thank our main sponsor, Smart Start MN. Smart Start MN is Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. They worked with the state to put this 
program in place, basically what it boils down to, they can put a, a device in your vehicle that will allow you to drive again once you've lost your license as a result of a DWI. It was a dumb idea in the first place. Don't do it. Don't drink and drive, but it's still going to happen. So if you or someone you know makes that mistake, loses your license, you can get back into your car sooner and for a lot less money than you otherwise might think by getting in touch with our friends at Smart Start MN. Yeah, and it might have been some of the people that were at the Jayhawk show Oof. at the Harriet Banshell last night. Because you were down there. I was down there, but I think that some of the folks didn't really plan to get as drunk as they got right. during that show. And there were people that showed up at 3 or 3.30 to get a good seat for the show. I had a couple of friends, the Baileys, who were down there oh, yeah. at 7.30 a.m. yesterday morning to put out their blanket, get their yes. chairs down. And now I get it. I'm committed to the bit. I oh, love yeah. a good show. Yeah. And the Jayhawks, they haven't played the band show since 93, yes, I don't think. I mean, a long time, almost 30 years. So I get it. It's going to be a big show. It's a free show. And last night was perfect. The weather was freaking gorgeous. <laughs> But settle down, okay? But you're t- So you're telling me some people got down there and they got a little greased well, a little before the show started? I actually had friends, one sober, his wife is not, uh-huh. but they decided to bicycle down there. Really cool, smart idea. They Great live idea. less than a mile away. One, pro- Well, two problems. One, she got pretty lit. Two, uh, you forgot to put the light on your bike for the in-the-dark drunk bike Oof. ride home. Oof. So he's like, we had to like walk the bikes for most of the way. <laughs> I don't think that Smart Start can put a breathalyzer on your bike because yeah. I don't know if the laws really apply right there, but they can get it in your vehicle. What's the best way for people to find out more? SmartStartMN.com slash The Brian Oak Show for 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock. Did you enjoy the show? Was it good? It was really good. Um, I had to work uh, yesterday before and after the show, and so we dipped uh, as they were singing the song Blue, which I figured to be either an encore or uh, the closer, right. you know, the early closer, whatever. So we dipped at that point, but uh, fantastic show. Uh, you and I are spoiled because we worked in radio for years, so mm-hmm. I've seen G- Gary Lewis in a, in a room this size. Right. Uh, and so... You're not beating that, um, but it was it was delightful. More than anything, it was great to see 40 people I knew and to see uh, a, a sea of somewhat like-minded people out there uh, enjoying live music, unlike last summer. Yeah, well, exactly. There was nothing, and so now it's back there, and hopefully, fingers crossed, man, that everything at least maintains some sort of equilibrium and we're able to hang on to it for a while. Speaking of, somebody else who had to close down much of his life, at least his, you know, entertaining and entertainer section of his life, Mar- Mark Deverage is our guest, and he'll be joining us next. He plays in a bunch of local bands, like more than I don't know how he has this kind of time, in addition to being an attorney at the Hennepin County Public Defender's Office. One of the bands he plays in is a cover band of... One of my top five favorite bands of all time, and that would be Pixies. I am such a deep freak for Pixies, and I realize, much like Queens of the Stone Age, which we probably should be playing just about every week on the show but never do, we almost never play Pixies, and that's going to change right this second on The Brian Oak Show.
A lot of people in the world, you know, you like what you like, right? We don't get to pick what we love. But there are those who posture and pose and say, you know, I really only like the early stuff. And I love <laughs> everything Pixies ever did. But I got to be honest, my favorite record is their final release, 1991's Trompe Le Monde. Uh, I just feel like it was the most cinematic, the most well thought out. Certainly by that point, Black Francis had sort of squeezed everybody to the side, needed their contributions. But he was the idea man for sure. But I absolutely love that. And Trump Lamond is the name of a local Pixies tribute band that happens to be one of about four dozen bands that today's guest drums in. Mark, how are you? I'm great. It's good to hear. I, we've known each other and we know so many of the same people. I just I really can't believe that we haven't actually crossed paths before and met face to face. So thank you very much for coming on to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Gladly. So let's talk a little bit about you. For the, the first time anybody comes on a show, we have to do a little bit of a background dig. Where are you from? I grew up in uh, Blue Earth, Minnesota. All I don't right. Know if you're familiar with that, it's uh, I am. southern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, small town, rural Minnesota, and uh, eventually moved uh, to the Twin Cities to, to go to law school. Okay. And, um, yeah, I, I think you and I are, are about the same age. Uh, and You've got to be younger than I am. You look way better than I do. I, I graduated in 1986. Oh, my God, we're the same age. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations on looking so good, Mark. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Thank well you. done. Well done. So you grew up in Blue Earth, and it's not an uncommon story, especially with a lot of musicians that we've had on the show or that I've met in real life. Uh, I guess this is kind of real life. But for them to grow up in a smaller community and look for the bright lights in the big city, especially if they're into music, right? Because the Twin Cities are an amazing music destination. Yeah. When I, you know, when I was growing up, um, you know, in the 80s in uh, small town, rural Minnesota, you know, there was no... You know, and people kind of forget this. You know, there was there was no internet. There was uh-uh. barely any cable TV for most of my you know youth, uh, and there was very little uh, exposure to uh, anything other than what you would hear on you know on on mainstream uh, FM radio. And in fact, in Blue Earth, KQ was about the only station that we could get. Right? Uh, you didn't get Cows FM down there. I, you know, maybe I don't know. <laughs> That's I mean, a terrible radio. I shouldn't say that, but it might have bad. needed a more powerful uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, radio than what I had exactly. at the time. Growing up in Coon Rapids, which is much closer, but I also grew up on KQ. Man, I mean, that right. informed a tremendous amount of my early music fandom. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so you obviously you're like, I'm going to move down. And I'm going to law school. I'm going to be an attorney. Cool. But obviously. You didn't wait until a couple of years ago for your love of music to happen. As you're growing up, when does either loving music or, more importantly, since you're also a drummer in about 50 bands, when does creating music become a part of who you are in your life? You know, I always uh, loved music. You know, as a kid, I remember uh, growing up and, you know, sitting in my uncle's house looking at that Sergeant Pepper gatefold sleeve <laughs> and those super saturated colors and just kind of, you know, almost like you just organically tripping out on on, <laughs> on these visuals and of course right. being obsessed with the Beatles at, a, at an early age um, and then I you know, I, don't, I can't remember exactly why I, I gravitated to the drums but I, I got, got interested in the drums when I was maybe about 10 or 11 and 
you know, beat up some couch cushions trying to uh, learn how to play the uh, <laughs> intro to uh, Ain't That a Shame by Cheap Trick on the live album, you know, <laughs> right. trying to cop some of Bunny's licks. And I guess oh. that's what I've been doing ever since, uh, trying to cop Ringo and Bunny licks. Um, but, you know, eventually I, I ended up, um, when I was in junior high, I had a drum set. I, I finally convinced my parents to buy me a drum set. The only problem was that, you know, the drums are not like a guitar where you can sit there and, you know, kind of entertain yourself and others, you know, with the, just yourself. Um, so I was, I was playing the drums and I, I had to find some, some people to play with. And I remember in, in junior high, I convinced a couple of my friends who were kind of interested in music, but, uh, again, going back to the early, days of cable TV, HBO uh, came to Blue Earth, and it was a big deal because, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but The Who were breaking up, and they played their final show ever in 1982, and this was broadcast, I think it was called Who's Last, and it was the concert on HBO, and this is like the only time you could get any live kind of music, you know, uh, experience, unless you actually had a ticket and, and went to a show somewhere. Uh, so I got a couple of my friends to come over and watch this thing on HBO and, and um, then convinced them that uh, we needed to make some money uh, bean walking. You know, so some people may not understand what <laughs> this is. You know. that. Yeah. I don't know what bean walking is. Okay, so back in the uh, Paleolithic <laughs> era, um, <laughs> there, would, there would be this thing called bean walking where you would walk in a soybean field. Ah. And you would weed it, basically. There were these milkweeds that, of course, we know are great for the uh, butterflies, but uh, I, I, I found them distasteful when it was 100 degrees and you're bending over and you're pulling mm. these milkweeds and they're splattering all over you and, and you're covered with this sticky uh, stuff. It's, it's, it's unpleasant. But it was a way to make money for uh, otherwise unemployable uh, you know, junior high age uh, kids. Right. And we did this... Um, you know, for a couple of weeks and made just enough money to, to quit. And, you know, when we could, when those guys could afford a guitar and a bass. Right. And then now, now I had my first band and, um, and then of course the hook, you know, I, I don't think they really broke up in 1982. No, I don't think didn't. that, was, I don't think that was their final show. I've seen them live in the last 15 years. So yeah, yeah I, think, I think you might I think be right they, about they somehow, that. They somehow got back together. What was the name of that first band? Ooh, um, boy, I, I wasn't prepared for such a revealing uh, you know, expose here. <laughs> Look, man, so, we dig deep. We get to I the know, heart of the important yeah, issues on this, this podcast. Is, this is what I was afraid of. Um, the band was called Soldier of Fortune. Fine. What's wrong with That's not embarrassing. It's not I've brilliant. Heard worse. I've heard worse. It's not <laughs> brilliant, our, but it's not embarrassing. Our bass player was... Um, obsessed with mercenaries and and, yeah. and he would get the soldier fortune magazine did you ever see that oh, that yeah. was like you know it had all these ads for you know knives and you know crazy stuff oh you know? brass knuckles and yeah. like extended like fighting batons and right, things like that right, yeah, yeah, right. exactly all right so soldier of fortune obviously did not lead <laughs> to your fame and fortune you grew up and you still like playing music but at some point you decide you know what i'm actually going to do a real job now i think i've met a lot of people who were drawn to law right and you moved to the cities to study law and become an attorney. Right. Many people are drawn to it for many different reasons. Why did you first think you wanted to be an attorney? Uh, I was approaching the end of my college career, and it was either go on to further education or get a job. So that was a big uh, motivator to Mm -hmm. to seek higher uh, education, uh, postgraduate degrees. So, you know, I'd kind of been thinking about law, um, you know, I didn't know much about it, but there was one internship that was available where I went to college and it was at the Hennepin County public defender's office. Mm. 
Uh, I didn't know what they would have us doing. And it turned out to be basically an, an investigation job. You know, you, you worked as an investigator, you served subpoenas, you took statements from witnesses and, uh, you know, ran around and, and tried to not have people kill you. And it was really great. It was really exciting. And I kind of went there and found out what the public defender's office was all about and sort of, you know, drank the Kool-Aid. I mean, I don't want to sound too corny about it, but I, I think public defense is kind of a, uh, a calling mm-hmm. and, you know, it's either something that speaks to you and you're like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Or, you know, you're like, hell no, this is not something for me. Well, that's why I asked, because I think a lot of people who look at being an attorney are looking towards the other side. They want to start their own firm. They want to ride around in yachts. And right. I know that, you know, working for the, the, the defender's office, you may make a decent living. You may have a good life. You may have a fulfilling career in law, but it's a, it's a different reason for getting into law. Absolutely. It's not a, a place, you know, where you're going to go to get rich or famous necessarily. Right, I mean, right. you, might, you might become infamous, but, you know, uh, <laughs> that might be a different thing. Yeah. So it is definitely something that requires uh, a, a certain mindset. And, and I'm going to say a, a dedication to the cause, particularly when I got into it. I think we have better awareness now of uh, some of the issues that the public defender's office has been always dealing with. Um, it's in the, in the public consciousness more, you know, thanks to cell phones and, and, and things that have happened. Um, but you know, back then it was kind of a thing where even sometimes among, um, colleagues from law school, you know, they'd be kind of like, you know, where are you working? Are you, Ooh, are you going to try to become a prosecutor or a judge? Is this a stepping stone? Right. You know, uh, they almost considered you to be slumming it kind of. Couldn't get a job in a firm. What's going on? You know, so there are those kinds of questions. And I think people thought it was maybe something you do to kind of cut your teeth, you know, learn how to do stuff, but then strike out into private practice and, you know, become one of those guys that gets paid tons of money to do the DWIs and and all that. Um, But it's never, I've always wanted to be a public defender as long as I've wanted to be a lawyer. And that's the uh, kind of the only thing that I want to do. And I'm still, still doing it. Well, I want to talk about some of the intricacies that are involved there, but also you drum for Whiskey Rock and Roll Club, and he's been on the podcast before. You drum for High on Stress. We've had Nick on the podcast before. You, I knew you were in Heavy Sixers. I only found out when you sent me your bio that you worked along with Helm in Trump Lamond. I had no idea that that was the case. And you've also played with lots of other people, and like you were telling me before we started, you do fill in here and there. You're out and about. You drum all the time. So I want to talk about more drumming, and I want to talk about more lawyering, but I also want to hear a song. I don't like to go too far before we hear another song. Tell me, you're in high on stress, and Nick's a cool guy. By the way, Nick has a podcast called The Figure Eight Podcast Mm -hmm. that is fucking boss. It's really, really good. Uh, He gets incredible guests, and I just think he does such a good job, and he's been on here before. But you play in a band with him. How long have you been part of High on Stress? So Nick and I actually started that band in 2003. Okay. And, uh, yeah, he, uh, it's kind of a, a little bit of a funny story. I'll try to make it brief, but That's I, okay. I, I hadn't been playing drums for a while. Um, and you know, was maybe thinking I'd aged out of it. You know, I, I was seeing these, uh, you know, I'd look at the ads in the guitar center or wherever and it'd say, you know, new band, you know, influences are corn and limp biscuit. And I'm like, yeah, this is, you know, <laughs> maybe rock has passed me by, you know, and now I'll become one of those old guys, you know, back to listening to the Beatles. But Nick had an ad up. Uh, a flyer up saying he was looking for a drummer, a lead guitarist, a keyboard player, uh, you know, a singer, maybe even a rhythm guitar. You know, and I was going through this list. And I'm like, 
what is this guy going to do? Is he going <laughs> <is he laughs> to be? What does he bring to the yeah, band? Is he going to be like Ruben Kincaid? You know, over there, you know, the, you know, kind of the manager. I mean, <laughs> so I, uh, you know, and he had some influences that I liked, and uh, you know, I thought I got to call this guy just because it's sort of funny because it seems like you know. Do you actually have any talent that you're going to bring to this or not? You know, is there even a single member of this band? Yeah, yeah, no, and there, and there wasn't. It was just Nick because Nick had moved here uh, with his punk rock uh, band friends from Minot, North Dakota. Right, they were doing the whole you know post high school living in a house and being in a band together and being best friends, and then uh, they had a falling out and. Nick uh, basically had no band, no friends, and no house, <laughs> and was wow. li- living a, uh, in a studio apartment, um, depressed, and playing acoustic guitar because he couldn't play his Marshall amp in there, and uh, writing kind of uh, more contemplative material, and that became the basis for High on Stress. So I was the first person that, that he... Uh, that responded to his ad, and then we we built the band from there, I guess. And the band has been going, what, now for 18 years? Yeah, we uh, split up for a while because um, our bass player was moving to Chicago, and we were of the impression that that means, you know, you, you can't have a band if one of the guys doesn't live here. Uh, and we broke up for a while and then, you know, came back together and realized, you know, now with technology and things like that, you know, we can still do a lot of what we need to do, even with uh, a guy being in Chicago. And, you know, also our bass player, Jim, um, I think his kids got old enough where it was okay for him to be away from home mm-hmm. more. So we were able to do some touring, you know, get, get together with him in Illinois, play some shows, in, you know, there in Wisconsin. And sometimes he would come here. And, uh, you know, after a while, after we put out a bunch of records and had had broken up the, the you know, uh, first period of the band, you know, we kind of decided that, hey, we just want to choose our spots. You know, this band doesn't need to be trying to play every four weeks you know, at the hexagon or whatever. Mm. Um, it, it just seemed like we, we kind of have like a few people that like what we're doing and, you know, we'll just try to get a couple of shows here and there once in a while. And, and that's good enough. And it actually has turned out to be a, a great way for us to work. And actually the band I think is more popular now than it was in the initial run. The, the reviews on the latest record have been fantastic. Everywhere you look around, everybody loves this record. Tell me why you picked this song. Uh, I picked this song because uh, it's one of my favorites on the record, and I, I think it has a little bit of a different uh, vibe to it. Uh, the, the drumming is a little busier. I was, I was trying to do a little bit more of a uh, a Keith Moon impersonation than my usual Ringo Starr uh, <laughs> minimalist <laughs> approach to right, things, you know, right. because I have kind of minimal skills, which I try to pass off as a, a, a minimalist uh, aesthetic.
High on Stress on the Brian Oak Show. Drummer Mark Deverage is with us here. When's the next time High on Stress is playing? Uh, High on Stress does have a show here, and uh, it's the only thing we've got on the books right now. Okay. And uh, that is going to be at the Eagles Club, September 30th. All right, so people can jot that down now, September 30th. And if you want to know more, you can go on to Facebook or other social media, follow High on Stress there. Uh, before we go any further with Mark, I would like to mention a new sponsor to the show, and that would be Forgotten Star Brewery. Yeah. We should make a mention of them. They're in Fridley, right on the border of Minneapolis and Fridley. They, like many of these cool places, distilleries and whatnot, they have this brilliant, beautiful tap room that is right in the middle of an industrial park, which you may not think is an automatic destination. You're not going to accidentally stumble across it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> unless you're getting some electroplating done or something yeah. like that. But they've got this incredible location. You can't really miss it. Those two towering stacks that shoot into the sky yeah. off of their tap room. And they do they do great work there. They're good. They're very, very much involved in their community. Yeah, right along the railroad tracks there. Uh, dog friendly inside and out. We're at that time of the year. If you looked at the weather, low humidity, mm. still warm. Oh. Great to go sit outside and have a beer if you are so inclined. Uh, check out Forgotten Star Brewing. Yeah, ForgottenStarBrewing.com. They're going to have uh, plenty of music throughout the course of the summer. They're committed to making good but simple beers, right? They try to stay true to the original recipes. They're not out there to make it advanced super science or art. They are just trying to serve good quality products, and they give a ton back to their local community. So find out more, stop by, say hi, try yourself a brew, and bring your doggo because, as you mentioned, doggo-friendly inside and out. Absolutely, and no nutmeg beer there. <sighs> <laughs> Not yet. Mm, nutmeg and parsimon beer. Mm. So, Mark, you play in a number of bands. Now, obviously, playing in any band, you are going to be around other musicians. You're going to get to know people. How do you avoid the pitfalls of jealousy of one band when i mean now again we've all been shut down for a year and a half right so there hasn't been too much of that but i mean have you ever playing in as many bands as you do and playing as much as you do have you ever run into the situation where someone's like hey i got us a gig on this night and you're like shit son sorry i'm already playing a gig the other with another band that night yeah that does happen once in a while um fortunately not so much that it's been an issue where someone's like you know hey look you know you're always doing something else you know we, we need somebody that's available um, it hasn't really, uh, happened too much, but yeah, occasionally there's a conflict, but, um, you know, a couple of things you just, you know, like, uh, rehearsals, you know, are, are designated nights and generally, you know, you don't mess with that, uh, because then it looks like you're kind of, you know, cheating one band to favor another. So yeah, there's, right. there's some things you can do to, to manage it. And, you know, then uh, the other thing too, is a lot of people that I play with in some of these bands, uh, are also playing in multiple bands. So that makes it a little bit easier. You know, one, one of the bands I'm in, is with uh, Terry Isaacson uh, of the of the Flamin' O's and like mm. 18 other bands. I think he told us <laughs> once, we asked him, Terry, how many bands are you in? And right away, he didn't have to think about it. He's like, 19. And, and what do you mean 19? How is that possible? Well, some of the bands hadn't played for, you know, yeah. a decade. But technically, no one had broken them up. Right. I mean, you know, he could get the call tomorrow and, and hey, that band is returning to active duty. So, okay, all right. You know, and that's kind of the way it is with the, you know, five or so bands that I'm I'm in. Um, they're not all uh, active, you know. They're not all playing. They're not all doing stuff all at the same time. And, and actually, I'm not even sure, you know. Some, some may not emerge from the pandemic uh, at all. We, it remains to be seen. All right. Are you that motivated and hungry to play, or are drummers that hard to find? How are there five open slots in yeah, regular bands? Yeah, right. Or are you just that good? I, I know. I kind of say, well, I've got you know, I've got the market cornered on um, you know, 
middle-aged, middle-quality middle, middle quality drumming. You know, I, I'm mostly on time and mostly in time, you uh-huh. know. But, I, you know, I, I think I play, uh, I, I do what I do uh, well enough, you know. I mean, it, it, I'm not going to, you know, if you're, if you're hiring me to for your jazz fusion gig, I'm not the guy for that. No? Uh, <laughs> but your basic, you know, meat and potatoes, rock and roll stuff, I, I, I think I do that pretty well. But I think, you know, the thing about bands is, and this is why... A lot of the you know bands that we love. Sometimes you think it's oh it's you know it's about the main guy or gal who writes the songs and you know they're the whole thing. But then you realize later on it's it's not even about playing ability. It's about the uh, maybe the chemistry or the personalities you know of of the people in the band. You know maybe somebody who doesn't seem to be the star of the band is someone that is providing um, you know uh, an environment that that the other person can shine and do what they need to do. So I mean I think. I mean, what I'm trying to say is I'm not too big of an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, and if you can set, if you can match that bar, if that's where the bar is set, I say it all the time. My only real metric for the people I interact with on the daily is don't be a piece of shit. Yeah. Right? And and it's it's startling though how many people can't even achieve that very very low bar. So Absolutely. You're not that you're in a bunch of bands though and you're doing all this stuff and it did happen whether we like it or not a global pandemic occurred, right? And shut everything completely the f down. How long did you go without playing in front of people? Over a year? Yeah, I mean it was 18 months um for some of the bands I'm in it was closer to 2 years. Right. Um and that's not playing in public and not even getting together and, you know, playing in the practice space or anything like that. It was a complete shutdown. Well, when you talk about, you know, you're not an asshole, you're, you're a quality drummer, you drum with all these people, it is a team effort. But, I mean, Sean and I have talked about this with virtually every musician mm-hmm. who's ever been on this podcast. There's a symbiotic relationship, right? You're up there creating this art and creating this noise, and you're having a hell of a time. The people in the audience are having a fantastic time. The energy comes out. The energy gets sent back. There is a feedback loop that happens throughout there. Suddenly, you don't have that for a full year. Now, you've got a nice daytime gig. You're doing all right. Maybe a little bit stressful at times, the daytime gig, and you don't have your release, right? Yeah, I've you know, I, I always kind of, you know, another running joke, I always, but I'm not even sure if this is a joke. I just tell people, hey, you know, get get play the drums even if you're not going to play music you know just get them in the basement and and, mm-hmm. and beat the hell out of them it's kind of a cathartic release you know physically you get something it's you know out of playing the drums that maybe strumming an acoustic guitar doesn't you know quite quite achieve well it's um, kind of a workout right i mean you're getting cardio if you're playing drums right and it's also kind of like a meditative thing because mm-hmm. you know you, you kind of just get into this uh zone um yeah so it is a it, it was difficult but it's difficult for for everybody because you know setting drums and playing in bands aside i mean first and foremost i'm a fan of music you know that's that's why i'm doing this i mean i i love music and i need to hear it and need to go see it live and 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 need to perform it live and and that feedback loop that you're talking about is absolutely what it's all about you know i mean you can't just uh play in your bedroom by yourself i mean you can but you know that you know you hope you're putting something out there and somebody's receiving it and getting something out of it well and then you get it back too when you you see the crowd losing their mind or having a blast or just getting drunk and singing along right i mean that that nourishes everybody and so it's nice to be back out i know you've been getting back out i want to talk a little bit more about what you got coming up for gigs but i also have a couple more important questions in my humble opinion about what it is you do at the hennepin county public defender's office because i think why you do it and how you do it are an important part of who you are an informative part but Let's hear another song. I don't like going too long without hearing some right. music. And Whiskey Rock and Roll Club, I remember the first time I walked up behind, you know, have we met before you and I? I don't think so. You know, I 
Did we meet once? We might have. Uh, you know, this is a. I, I just I okay, got a story with Andy about a similar. Uh, okay, <laughs> meeting right where you know maybe he uh, didn't know, uh, oh, he didn't, didn't recognize he didn't you. Know who the just, hell, I was. Yeah. No, no, no. And that that actually happened at the three three one at the Eric B and Rakim show. Absolutely, <laughs> I had just gotten a haircut and I'm like, hey, and he just looked at me and he just walked right by and I'm like, well, we've only met a couple times before. The reason I bring it up is the very first time I ever even heard of Whiskey Rock and Roll Club was walking up and there are two guys wearing some of the coolest fucking jackets I've ever seen in my life. And Andy would tell us when he was on the podcast here that the band is better at marketing than they are making music. I mean, your buttons, your symbols, your jackets, your merch, everything is just freaking spectacular. And at the time, I was still drinking, and I'm like, Whiskey Rock and Roll Club, I need to know more about this band. So that was the first time I ever met Andy. And um, the marketing is good, but the music's also good, and you guys played on the regular. Yeah, we've been playing a lot, and uh, yeah, Andy introduced me to somebody as uh, a member of his, saying, oh, we have a band called Whiskey Rock and Roll Club. I, I corrected him. I said, no, we have a clothing company <laughs> called Whiskey Rock and Roll Club Minneapolis, and we occasionally promote the product line by playing live and putting out music. Ultimately, you know, we hope that we don't even have to perform uh, or record music. We could just, you know, have the branding and just do like a Jimmy Buffett lifestyle kind of a thing. You know? Exactly. That's changes in latitudes, changes in attitudes, bro. <laughs> I get it. No, I've got, a, I've got a Whiskey Rock and Roll Club fridge maggot in my hand right now. And um, no, a very good band. It, I mean, other than just getting together and rocking out, was there uh, a proper inspiration or, or a philosophy of this band? Or is it let's just bang out some sweet rock tunes? Yeah, this. Uh, so Taylor Carrick is the, the main... Uh, guy behind this, this the songwriter and he saw the the Pixies tribute band Tromplemon playing at Art Oral and then uh you know said hey you know can you play on some demos I'll pay you and I was like what someone's going to pay me to play so what? and you know so <laughs> Wait a minute. of course what? yeah as we joke now there was no payment there is no recording project now it's another <laughs> band you know playing right, you know for right. 10 people and 10 dollars but um <laughs> the, the songs were fun but like yeah, this band, what I like about it is, you know, this is not a, a band where we take ourselves or anything too seriously. It is just kind of fun, primal, getting back to why you like, you know, kicking out the jams with your, you know, friends in junior high or whenever you started playing music. And it's not, you know, a sensitive uh, singer-songwriter, sad bastard kind of music, you know, which, which I, <laughs> hey, look, I like that stuff too. Uh, no one is going to be pouring over the lyrics on the floor of their dorm room, you know, wondering what the Whiskey Rock and Roll Club really means right. and how it, you know, impacts their life. <laughs> what were they really trying to say? Speaking of, we're going to hear this song. It's called Mac Wilson. Are we talking, is this a song literally written about my former colleague at the current Mac Wilson? You, you are correct, and and I believe he's been made aware of this song, and and wanted and just wanted to know whether he was treated in a respectful manner. And if you if you do listen to the lyrics of the song, um, uh, the protagonist is not uh, lodging a complaint against Mac Wilson. Um, it is it is more against the uh, hypothetical. Uh, life partner who does not understand the protagonist's dedication to rock and roll uh and uh she she's listening to mac wilson uh but she 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 doesn't get where this guy's coming from hit me one time hit me two times hit me three times do you love rock and roll Baby, I gotta go! 
playing on your radio. And she said, you better leave. You better go. You never loved me. We'll go ahead and dedicate that one to the man the song is named after, one <laughs> Mac Wilson of 89.3 The Current. That one's for you, baby, right from Whiskey Rock and Roll Club. Before we continue our conversation with Mark, we do need to thank Palmer's Bar. Palmer's Bar is back and at it and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Palm Fest the other weekend was amazing. So cool. And they're continuing to have all kinds of live music out on that beautiful patio right there on the West Bank on Cedar Avenue. Yeah, and I ran uh, Tony Z, Tony Zaccardi, uh, last night at the Jayhawk show and had a great conversation with him. He was really happy with how things turned out with Palm Fest and, right. and uh, enjoyed our interview with Ben Kyle. So it was really cool to see him. Make sure and check out it's palmersbar.net, right? Palmersbar.net. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the lineup right now. Yeah. The legendary Mighty Mofos are playing tomorrow. Now today is Friday, August 13th, but tomorrow on August 14th, the Mighty Mofos, the Silver Teens, and the Heavy Sixers. Holy shit. What wow, band don't you play that? in, Mark? What <laughs> band don't you? So you're playing at Palmers tomorrow night. I am playing at Palmers tomorrow night. I mean, how... Uh, it, this is in all seriousness, and I'm not trying to overstate it. I know you're not out playing four nights a week, but you do play a lot. When you play in that many bands, especially this day and age, everyone's dying to get back out there. Right. How do you juggle? I mean, because, you know, I know that you take your job seriously. I know that you are a professional, but also being up past your bedtime can take a little wear and tear on somebody. You look better than I do, but we are the same age, and I know that we don't bounce back like we once did. How do you balance all of it? Do you eat right? Are you an exerciser? meditator what do yeah, you do it's, it's it's weird you know um there are a lot of late nights and you know sleep deprivation situations uh you know getting up earlier than than you would uh, wanted to i you know i don't know i i'm naturally uh, a bit of a night owl i don't i think that's probably not the healthiest thing for long-term longevity uh, but that's you know that staying up late has never been a, an issue for me um you know yeah i don't you know need to be going on stage at 1 a.m because right. you know playing for until 2 a.m. I mean, those are situations uh, best avoided uh, still. But, you know, yeah, there, there's those late nights. Um, but I, I just, I've gotten used to them. There's some guy that I saw giving kind of a, a motivational speech about, you know, the music business. And he said something that I thought was kind of uh, cool. He said, you know, find something you love and be willing to stay up late for it. 
And I think people do that with other things, whether it's, you know, raising their kids or, you know, mm. sports or, you know, people do all kinds of stuff and they go, I don't know how you could do that. But then you go, well, you know, you followed your kids, you know, little league team all over the country, kept us banana <laughs> right. schedules that, that would be worse than any kind of rock tour that I could imagine, yeah. you know, or people will say, oh, you know, it's so late. And it's like, well, you know, you went to see Bruce Springsteen and I, I get it that he's better than all of my bands put together, <laughs> but you know, you sat there for four hours, you did not get home early right. and you went to work the next day, you know? Well, and I think it works on the other end of the clock too. People will routinely say to me like, how the fuck do you get up at 4 a.m. every single day? And I'm like, cause I'm getting up to do one of the only things I've ever really wanted to do. I love my yeah. job, man. You know, despite the fact that it's so Maroon 5 intensive. Before we continue our conversation <laughs> with Mark, Sean, I also want to mention you are a realtor for Edina Realty and and it's busy, busy, busy as summer starts to draw to a close, right? Yeah, it's crazy. It's kind of like what happened last year. A lot of uh, my friends and people I know are looking to buy or sell right now, and the interest rates are still incredibly low, which is great. Um, and we just bought a house, which I think I mentioned to you. One cool thing that's happening from a sale last year is I'm actually paying for a concert for one of my clients. So we're going to have Sarah Morris out to her place, and she's going to invite all of her friends. Wow. Uh, yeah, so we're going to do that at her place, I think, September 12th. I won't mention her name so you don't have <laughs> random people showing up to let's, your yeah, home. Let's but, not crash a stranger's house. Yeah, but but a thing that I started doing this year because of the pandemic and everything else is uh, I donate a portion of every buy and sell to an area musician or artist. I've had a couple people say, well, I don't really know like who I would donate to. And I'm like, you know what? I've got a long list of musicians that wouldn't mind a little Venmo cash uh, in their account. And so it's been really cool uh, how it's worked out and the gratitude that I see from the musicians I didn't expect. I mean, I thought they'd be like, hey, cool, man, thanks. But like, I get these emails that are like, oh my gosh, man, this is really cool. Like that, that people donate this money. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's a little something to make sure that you keep making music. And you know, like in the case of Mark, I mean, this guy pours his heart into his day job every day uh, and then finds the time to be able to help people get through their days. You know, that's what music does for all of us is that it gives them an escape from whatever the hell it is that they're doing during the day. I wanted to ask you the question, Mark, like how, A, you got to be high empathy to get into what you do, but how do you separate your, your you know, the, the client and the, and the daytime from what you do at night are you able to turn it off or do you take a lot of uh, of your the emotion home with you yeah there's uh, the emotion uh, is always with you you know it's it's one of those things where you know it's not like the whistle blows and it's quitting time <laughs> yeah, and now, exactly. hey boy i don't have to think about that now until tomorrow morning uh it doesn't really work that way and if you know particularly if you're in trial uh on a case you mm -hmm. know there is no time you're off the clock you're working around the clock or worrying around the clock you're you know even when you're taking a shower or brushing your teeth, you're thinking about, you know, what, what's going to happen in court today and, you know, what should I have done differently yesterday? Mm -hmm. um, you know, fortunately, there, there it ebbs and flows. So there's sure. times when you're busier and there's times, you know, when you're doing preliminary hearings and it's not, uh, you know, a matter of life and death. Uh, and I think for uh, our office is divided into divisions now that, that handle different types of cases. But when I first started doing this and for a long time, we, we practiced a, a little bit of everything. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a week of traffic court, that is going to be uh, generally a, a more chill week than yeah, the, the yeah. weeks that you're, you're dealing with the more intense stuff. Mm -hmm. But 
No, I, I don't know. It's not something I really think about um, that much. I just, you know, when I'm playing music, it I, that's all I'm thinking about. So I guess I am able to compartmentalize it a little bit um, to that extent. What percentage do you think of the cases that you handle with were, was, you know, were drugs and alcohol involved somehow, some way? Yeah. I, if you had to guess. Uh, you know, I tell people, um, you know, and I think it sounds like a joke, but I really don't think it's a joke that if... Uh, there's ever a cure for chemical dependency, mental illness, and poverty, I'm mm-hmm. out of a job. Uh, yeah. you know, a lot of people yeah. are. You're, you're going to lose your sponsor. Uh, Smart Start won't yeah. be around. They, you go know. Hand, they go hand in hand. The whole yeah. g- government center will not require mm-hmm. you know, a, a nearly as many people. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that, that's it because you know, getting back to um, you know, uh, me saying I'm, I'm not m- that big of an asshole, you know, a lot of the clients I represent are not, you know, the raging assholes that people mm-hmm. think, you know, it, a lot of them are, you know, are people that, you know, they have responsibility for what they've done, but, uh, you know, those things are driving a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, they're, they're just, they're people. And I think that's the thing that gets lost. People read a headline and they see a mugshot and it becomes very easy to dehumanize that person that you see, um, you know, and I think this is an issue with, uh, you know, police brutality mm-hmm. and, and racism, uh, in issues in law enforcement, it becomes really easy to, to conceptualize that person as the other. That's not me. I wouldn't do those things. Nobody I know would ever commit those kinds of, uh, acts. But really, you know, when you talk to folks every day, like yeah. I do, you know, they are, you know, regular people and it's, it, it is that kind of, you know, there, but for the grace of God, you know, yes. go I or somebody that I know, uh, you know, could easily be somebody that that's in that situation. So you do have to have empathy, but it's, you know, it's not that hard because when you talk to people, um, you know, then you, you do see them, you see their humanity. You can't help but see that. Well, and I, I, so are, is what you do, like when we talk about working for the Hennepin County Public Defender's Office, right? When, you know, on television for all of our lives, when they say, you know, when you get your Miranda's read to you, right? Or then they tell you, uh, you have the right to an attorney. If you cannot afford one, the county will appoint one yeah, to you. Yeah, that's me. That's you? <laughs> yes. Okay. And so, I mean, so a lot of people who have the means and the wherewithal will hire their own private fancy pants attorney, right? Right. You are there to literally protect the poorest or the the most, I, I guess, the least capable of protecting themselves from the system. And it's your job to make sure they get as fair a shake as possible. Right. They that, are the most, you know, vulnerable people coming into that court system. And so and I think what you said is crucial when, you know, like, Sean, you're bringing up drugs and alcohol, but poverty and mm-hmm. racism, these things are massive. And institutional racism, which I'm afraid has made a lot of people uncomfortable, it should have always been making everyone uncomfortable. Right. But here we are 10 blocks south of where George Floyd was murdered. Right. I mean, that we're, we're right here. We're in ground zero. And for whatever reason, Minneapolis became the flashpoint over the last year or so, and it's an awful distinction, but an important one, I think. You know, and change is always incremental, but I think the more that we're forced to look into that microscope and the more we're forced to be made aware of the things that we have taken for granted for a very long time, then the situation ideally gets better, right? I mean, obviously, there's a tremendous ways to go, but at least incrementally even. Yeah, I, I definitely think, uh, like like I was alluding to earlier, I think, you know, people are more aware of some of these issues that, you know, were easier to ignore or, you know, all you're seeing are, are newspaper or, you know, media uh, reports. But, you know, you can't deny somebody, you know, posting a video on Facebook or a cell phone, you know, video that's happening in real time or something, um, you know, like a couple of the, the incidents that, that have happened uh, here in recent years. So, I you know, th- those things are... 
on people's radar more. And I think that's going to drive more meaningful discussion. Um, you know, there's a lot of controversy about, uh, you know, a catchphrase like, you know, defund the police, you know, well, well what mm-hmm. does that mean? Yeah. I think it's meant to be a provocative phrase. Uh, I don't think it's meant to indicate that there would not be any concept of law and order or, or enforcement, but it, it means, you know, hey, let's have a radical rethinking at least of how we approach these issues and not just have a best practices, you know, and uh, try not to kill people. And then, you know, the next guy gets killed. And how about maybe we have, uh, uh, you know, an urgent call to a medical health professional that the mental health professional that accompanies the police. I've had to explain to my friends that I grew up with in Arizona that some of them are conservative. And I've just said to them, we don't mean get rid of all police. That's ridiculous. Right. Uh, what we've, what we mean is, can we, can we at least retest some folks to make sure that they've got some compassion and empathy? Can we maybe see if they'll actually go to the neighborhoods when they're not arresting people and be part of the community like it used to be? I'm from North Minneapolis originally. We knew the local cops there because they were there all the time, showing right. up to school events, the little league games, and what happened is they've disappeared from some of the areas that they're policing. But then the mental health side of it, that uh, to me, the one of the greatest things we could do is have somebody that is a maybe a mental health and chemical health professional that's at the ready, that's on the call. If we would fund that sort of thing, if we're if we're really serious about making our communities better, poverty is certainly an issue, but the things that go hand in hand, and I know this because of my own family, is the the mental health side of it and the the chemical health side of it that that goes hand in hand. And so that's where I think you're right. People see people that make these mistakes and they go, oh, what an asshole that guy is. How could he possibly do that? And then you go, you probably hear their full backstory right away. Oh, this is a guy who was molested by his uncle and his dad left when he was four. And then you know, he was out on his own uh, by the time he was 12. And, and so he's made some really bad decisions. But can we stop back for just a moment and say, where the hell was everybody else in this supposed community when this was all happening to this kid who is now a 30 year old, you know, drug addict who's creating, you know, doesn't doesn't excuse the behavior. Absolutely. I've always yeah. said, but at some point as a society, we need to decide to be better. And not just by words and not just by posting shit on the internet, but by actually doing the work to mentor and to to do what we can to to change the policing system. Yeah, so that's my soapbox. You, you've struck on something, actually, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, a, a lot of times people can understand, you know, like, oh, you know, you're representing somebody on uh, something that doesn't seem like the world's worst thing. And it's, a, you know, that's righteous. But then, you know, people will ask specifically about, a, a, you know, certain types of cases. Well, how do you defend people who hurt kids, you know, I'm all for due process, but you know, people that touch kids and yeah. do things, you know, I mean, no one should be defending them. Yeah. You know, those things, those worst case uh, scenarios are where you really have to, you know, that's where these principles come you know, into play. But one, the thing that you've kind of uh, uh, struck upon there is that, you know, I have represented many people who have been accused of, uh, you know, criminal sexual conduct mm-hmm. against children. You know, that's probably about the worst kind of crime mm-hmm. anybody can think of. And I've never, represented uh, somebody who who did that who was not a victim of it themselves and did not get the counseling and the treatment that they needed Mm -hmm. to be able to deal with that and 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 not be uh replicating that and and in juvenile court when i worked there that was a common thing you would see a kid that was getting uh molested by an older sibling or Mm -hmm. a cousin and you would find out that the the same thing had happened to that kid and they were, you know, acting out in that manner. And, of course, it does not excuse anything and it creates another victim. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, 
look the other way and say, oh, well, they get a pass because, you know, they had a, a terrible childhood. But, you know, there are reasons that, that things happen. You know, I don't think that people are, uh, I don't believe that human behavior is guided by, for the most part, by, you know, evil or, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't think most people are true sociopaths. I think that's an overused term. You know, I think a lot of people are closer to the rest of us than we might like to believe, you know, and that can be an uncomfortable thought to think of somebody who's done something monstrous could be actually more like us than, than we want it to be. So, I mean, we kind of want to create monsters. We want to have people that are, that we can view as the other. We want to create people that are somehow less human because then it kind of protects us. It's a defense mechanism. Like, okay, that's, that, that person's not, you know, on the island anymore. They're not part of the pack. They're not part of the tribe. They're, they're an outlier. And the scary thing is, is, is thinking about people not being as much on the fringe of things as, as would be comfortable, but actually being, you know, kind of, kind of like you or me. Um, but you know, they've had some bad experiences and, and things like mental health and, and, uh, therapy and treatment for, uh, for issues, you know, didn't happen. And, and let's see if we can make more of that happen, you know, and maybe we can break some of these cycles of abuse. So how would you solve it? Now we're trying not to do a two hour show, but how, <laughs> how, how would you, how would you solve some of it? I don't mean permanently solve it. I don't mean some universal thing, but what do you think some of the core things are that could, that can help, help our society be better? You know, I do think more resources for chemi- Sorry, chemical dependency and uh, <laughs> mental health. I mean, it, it that, that's it, you know, I mean, those, those are two things that we can, we can Sorry. start with, you know, we yeah. can, and we can work with that. And I think getting more people connected with the kinds of services, because those things are, are eminently treatable. You know, if you, uh, you know, have the disease of chemical dependency, you can get sober. You know, even if you've done it a bunch of times yep. and, and failed, that doesn't mean that you're not going to get it right the sixth, seventh, tenth time. Most of the chemical dependency professionals I work with, you know, have the disease themselves. Yes. And they didn't get sober after the first time they yeah. went to treatment. It was a process and it may have taken them many times, uh, and people may have written them off, but then, you know, at, at some point it clicks and, and you're able to do something about it. And I think a lot of mental health stuff is, it's not easy to treat, you know, it's like, Oh, just go take a pill and you're magically okay. But mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, you can engage with psychotherapy. You can, you know, if you're on the wrong meds, you can get on better meds, you know, you can, you can work on this. And I think if we can extend those kinds of services to more people, I think we will have fewer uh, issues with with crime. Well, and I think that's where your idea. I mean, when we talk about defunding the police, I don't think there's anybody out there in their right mind who's like, not a single cop walking the streets, no cops to respond to crimes or bad situations. But we need to find a way to allocate the resources that we have available to the exact things you're talking about. If we get to the base causes, if we get to the roots, if we start in early education, if we find these problems, you know, I mean, the building that we're in right now, the Smart Start MN studio is therapy and this sort of thing for children almost on both floors of the entire building. Yeah, exactly. The earlier we get to these base things, exactly. The earlier we get to these things, the the stronger we address them, the more priority we make for them. Well, then we sort of, you know, nip it in the bud, right? Not always, not everywhere, but we can mitigate the giant reaction and the much more expensive and dangerous and potentially deadly reaction that we see on the other end of that. So... I have a feeling we're probably still a little ways away from getting that all sorted out, but it's always a good conversation to have, right? Because if we don't, if we don't continually think about it and continually push for it, then we're never going to get there. Right. Yeah. Mark, you are, <laughs> um, I just did, I didn't know we were going there. <clears throat> well, I'm sorry. I just, I feel like it's important and, and the, it is and, important. And, and clearly. We're, we're a music show, but we're also a community show. And I think it's so important to bring these things up and to, and to speak about solutions for these things because People don't talk about it. And to me, the music is the healing. 
the music is yeah. the healing part of it. I don't care if it's a rock song like we just heard from you know Whiskey Rock and Roll Club or or whatever. The music is the healing a lot of times. It's the escape uh, yeah. to be able to do that. So thank you for your for your work on both jobs. You know, drummer oh, and yeah, thank you. Defender. I mean, I, I and I love talking about this stuff, and I, I will sit here and talk until you are, uh, you know, uh, you know, crying uh, with boredom. <laughs> no, <laughs> we, you know, these, these issues we are. Will, we will have you near back. and I think dear it's to an my heart. Important yeah. discussion. So no, thank you. Absolutely, that wouldn't be possible. So you do have more gigs coming up, though. Yes. I do. I, you know, I hope these things stay on the books. Uh, you know, fingers crossed, man. Yeah, we're, we're we'll, hoping for the best. We'll see what the fall uh, holds, but I do. So the heavy sixers are tomorrow at that show at, uh, Palmer's, Palmer's with, right. with the mofos and the silver teens. Dude, that, with the mofos, one. man. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's yeah, cool. Right, man. right. Um, yeah, I like to, you know, I like to get booked on these shows where they're, that's just a rad show that I want to <laughs> yeah. hang out at. Exactly. You know? like, exactly. Do I have to play? Can we play first so I can just enjoy <laughs> the rest of the show? You know, I like to work out of the way. Right. <laughs> Uh, whiskey, rock and roll. Well, actually, the he- I'll, I'll go in uh, in in chronological order here. Please do. The, uh, the Heavy Sixers are also going to be playing at the Aster on September seventeenth. Okay. Whiskey, rock and roll club, Minneapolis. You know, and that is the full name of the band because we don't want to be confused with all the other chapters of the Whiskey Rock and Roll Club <laughs> that see. might exist out there in the universe. So, so kind of like a Black Rebel Motorcycle Club except Whiskey Rock and Roll Club. Yeah. yeah. I got it. I got it. One of these days I'm going to start a band and just put UK behind it even though we're not from the UK. <laughs> Good call. You know, I think that <laughs> could be something. It. Sell out your EP like that. <laughs> yeah. So that's uh, September 22nd at the Turf for Whiskey Rock and Roll Club, Minneapolis. And High on Stress, as we were talking about, September 30th at the Eagles. And Trompe Le Monde uh, has a show uh, October 1st at the 331. And I will tell Andy that if he sees you in the, in the 331 <laughs> to be more courteous. You know, I know the 331 is such a huge place. It's possible Massive. we can see yeah, you, right, you know, across the room. We literally bump shoulders. Yeah, no. And again, but that's just it. Like, I'm, I'm certain the number of times I've walked by someone where they're like, hey, Brian, and I just like blew by like nothing was happening. So I don't ever take that stuff personally. I just like, I, I thought maybe I got it wrong. I'm like, maybe that wasn't Andy. I don't know. Maybe it wasn't. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap things up with Mark Deverage right now. But before we go, we do have to thank Forgotten Star Brewing. We do have to thank our good friends Omer at Palmer's Bar. Palmersbar.net is where you go to get the full rundown for all the music they have going on this summer. Also, the good people at Smart Start MN. Thank you, Sean Bernard. You're welcome. I never mentioned my number, 612-859-2594, but you can listen to any podcast and hear that number again or just back it up right now. Can I only call that number or you, is it? You, it's textable. It is. Yeah, it is. It's okay. got the new texting function. I appreciate Which I, I would text you, but I'm almost out of minutes, all right? Oh, and my data shit. rates are through the roof, <laughs> all right? So I just can't. I can't. But other people probably can, especially if they're in the mood to sell their home. Uh, thanks to all our sponsors. Audio Quip as well. Mark, thank you for taking the time today. I know sometimes it feels like we could have talked about 80 other things, and we probably <laughs> could have. But again, also, research proves that nobody listens past the first 40 minutes of a podcast. <laughs> so don't take it personally, all right? We've got one more song for you here. Tell me about who the movie stars are and tell me why this song. So Movie Stars was, this is a record that I did in um, the late 90s, maybe 98. Uh, and that was a project of a guy named Brian Lofton, who was in a band called The Sandwiches here. I don't know if you mm-hmm. recall them. They they wore some zany costumes <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Joey Mullen from Badfinger produced their records and stuff. So uh, after that band broke up, Brian did this thing uh, <laughs> called Movie Stars. And, uh, you know, it was sort of an album project. And it was interesting. We recorded this record at the old um, AMREP studio, which was called The Bunker at the time. And uh, it, it was an interesting experience. We had a producer, a name producer coming in from New York, a guy named Kramer, 
uh, you know, who uh, he was in a band called uh, Bong Water with his wife at the time, Ann Magnuson, the act actor. And uh, he was, he's a guy who um, was, you know, part of the original uh, Knitting Factory, Knit Noise label, you know, the Knitting Factory Club in New York and all that stuff. So uh, he was kind of a big deal and he came out and he deconstructed this song from the sort of garage rock thing that we literally rehearsed in a barn in Stillwater uh, and had me triple track the drums, which I'd never done before. He had this vision. You know, he was a guy who would say he, he was hearing parts, uh, horn parts, and he would ask the, the, the guy who was bankrolling this to show up the next day with a English horn player. And he would do that. And then this guy Kramer would pull out staff paper with notation. He'd written some charts just based on stuff he heard. So that, that was a cool experience for me to, wow. to, to work with like a real big time producer who's actually doing stuff other than pressing record. Right. So, so yeah, that's this is a song uh, from that record, uh, and it's uh, it's called "Day to Day Easy Way." And it, you know, if the original version, the original version was almost like a punk rock song, and this song uh, turned out pretty cool. Ask me to come 